0: For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrooks. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go play at ladbrooks.com, 18plus T's and C's apply.
2: Hello and welcome to the game day podcast from TalkSport, the ultimate review of all the weekend's Premier League action. And there was some action. Alongside me, Sam Atterface this week, former Palace and Newcastle star Darren Ambrose and TalkSport's Alex Crook. Let's start at Old Trafford.
3: And it's a goal from Bernardo Silva. And not even David De Gea knows how that stuck in beyond him. It's 2-0 to Manchester City. It's only 2-0, but this is a Manchester mauling. Manchester United have not had bravery and no. have lost the bravery. It mm. showed De Gea, after 20 minutes, started kicking the ball long. That is not a top-four team top four teams play football from the back also
2: this week at the 21st time of asking Norwich have a Premier League win and they sack their manager Chelsea forget to score Newcastle bring a new date to the Amex but had they locked it in no lighty no likey sending offs sackings mental loan goals and another barnstorming game involving West Ham United and one of the league's best and West Ham go on and win it it's the Premier League's best review the game day podcast from TalkSport Hello, gentlemen. Uh, two sackings and no appointment at Newcastle. It's been some weekend. Alex Crook and Darren Ambrose are here. Crookie, Newcastle aren't going to mess this appointment up, are they? I mean, it is done, isn't it? I mean, Amanda Staveley literally walked Eddie Howe into the director's box at the MX Stadium. But there's been no announcement yet. Why Why is that?
4: Um, I'm told the announcement will be made on Monday. I know we were expecting that it could even be made on Friday and he May well have been in the dugout on Saturday. There were some delays in terms of sorting out the contracts for his backroom staff. My understanding is that has all been finalised now and Eddie Howe will get to work next week. And what a big job he's got in his hands as well. Newcastle, for the first time in their history, winless in their first 11 games at the start of a season. Only three teams in the history of the Premier League have ever stayed up, having failed to win any of their first 10 games. It's not been done since 2001, so 20 years. Ah, but they didn't have the money that Newcastle have got and Darren Ambrose
2: says I mean whenever we speak to Darren Ambrose I mean he's a Tottenham fan if Tottenham are doing well, he's a Crystal Palace <laughs> fan if he's in a, a suite at Selhurst no. Park and he's probably now very quickly etching a black and white tattoo onto his arm <laughs> thinking there's a bit of cash to be made up there now. Um, well, What was the situation? Would you, what Are you pleased about the, the Eddie Howe appointment?
5: I will be once this uh, gets over the line. I think. I think if you look at what the criticisms were uh, for Steve Bruce, it was the the lack of kind of desire and the the forward thinking play. It was very uh, defensive minded, and you know that didn't work out at all for him, to be honest. And Eddie Howe is complete opposite. He he is go out, score more goals than the opposition. I'm sure he will He will try and change that to a certain extent because that, obviously, he capitulated a little bit towards the back end of his Bournemouth, Bournemouth days. But it's a great appointment. You know, he knows a few players up there. Uh, Callum Wilson had a great relationship with him. And I think Crookie Ryan said... Fraser didn't. Yeah, well, I think Crookie said recently, that I heard him saying that Ryan Fraser and, and Eddie Howe's relationship is, is not completely finished so that can be uh, re- <laughs> no, rekindled so yeah I think that that's more down it's to like that
2: episode of X on the beach that's
5: it it's more down to the fact that it has to be rekindled really otherwise he, he's going to come in and get rid of Ryan Fraser immediately and I don't think he will do that so Matt Ritchie as well he's he's had him so he knows he's familiar with a few he's going to bring all his coaching staff over as well which I believe and Crookie says as well I believe it, it's he he likes to do that. And I think that's what's needed at the football club. A complete change, complete overhaul. And January is massive. It's so important. They need to really rebuild. They need to build foundations at that football club. You're not going to go out and sign world-class players at the moment. You're not going to get these big, huge signings. You need to start quite low and build foundations.
2: I was with Chris Waddle today. To say he was underwhelmed is an understatement. Um, Complete rebuild in process at Aston Villa as well because Dean Smith has been fired after five straight defeats. I thought he had a little bit more credit in the bank than that, to be honest with you. But I look back at some of the statistics. They have lost, would you believe this, 18 games in 2021. And as a result of that, Amongst other things, they have decided to let him go. I think, Crook, you'd sack a manager every five minutes if you were chairman, (laughs) especially if it was Dean Smith because you and him don't get on very well. Um, But are
4: you a little bit surprised by this? Not really. Um, Just judging by the tone of his post-match interview on Friday, I was at the game at Southampton and he was asked, uh, do you think you'll be given time to turn this around? And he said, I can't answer that. And when a manager says he can't answer questions about his future, I think he knows the writing is on the wall um, I think it's going to be an interesting change of direction for Aston Villa. And I, I see similarities when Southampton got rid of Nigel Atkins all those years ago and there was uproar from the supporters because he was the man who took them back into the Premier League. They brought in a relative unknown in Maurizio Pochettino. That didn't work out too badly. And one of the interesting names in the frame for this job, as I understand it, is the Denmark manager, uh, Kasper Hulman, who yes. uh, you will know, Sam, has, has done a terrific job transforming their style of play got them to the uh, semi-finals of the European Championship. They've absolutely breezed through their World Cup qualifying group. They're in the same group as Scotland, so I've seen them on a couple of occasions. Will he leave Denmark so close to the World Cup? I guess that's possibly uh, an issue with that appointment, but it's an interesting name.
2: Yeah, well, it's interesting because they um, got rid of Olga Horider just before the European Championships because of the change of date of the European Championships. They're always going to change after it, but because it went an extra year... They ended up bringing in Kasper Hjolman uh, earlier than expected. And it was a bit of a gamble for Denmark because he is known in um, Denmark as the uh, Danish Pep Guardiola. Um, and he's very much all to do with playing high, wide fullbacks, progressive football, real fast up and at them in your face type of uh, of a game, and obviously he had to deal with quite a very difficult situation during the European yeah. Championships as well with Christian Eriksen. Bearing in mind that they were seconds from going out, ended up being semi finalists. Pretty impressive turnaround. Um, and he's a very well mannered guy. He's brilliant to talk to. He's excellent at, at articulating his views. So he's definitely a contender. I heard that Ralph Hasenhüttl was a contender as well for that job, which is interesting, as well as Steven Gerrard. So that is, um, it's going to be quite an interesting international break,
4: Crookie. Yeah, just on the, on the Ralph Haas and link, I've obviously spoken to people at St Mary's. They're confident that he, he wouldn't take that job and he's committed oh, that's, to their this project. Is your
2: best mate, the CEO now, because you mates <laughs> with him now, Is where you play golf
4: with him, mate. Mm. <laughs> uh, a good journalist never reveals his sources. <laughs>
2: Darren, you'll be more keenly interested in the vacancy down the uh, road from your old club, Ipswich, won't you? Daniel Farker is uh, out of a job. I mean, obviously, this would be a major talking point for us if all the other stuff hadn't happened. But, I I mean, it defies logic, doesn't it, really? They win their first game in <laughs> eons and then decide to sack the manager that they probably should have sacked three or four weeks ago.
5: I mean, I find the timing... Very, very strange, as you said, beating Brentford. I think Brentford played very well and should have got the result, actually. But Norwich ended up getting the result. And you look at the next game, Southampton, Wolves and Newcastle there's three games that potentially they could get some points out of as well so the timing was strange but it, it had to happen um, and I, I see it's quite an ambitious move I feel and what I, I look at it is if if they were already preparing for the championship I think they sh- they would have kept Daniel Farker I think he would have been the best man to bring them back up from the championship so this makes me think you know what they are they're, they're thinking they have a chance of potentially staying in the division so they have to get it done as early as possible and we know this um, international break normally sees the end of some managers. It has at the moment as well, so it's it's a very very tough job. Whoever's going to come in and take that, but it's one that I think it, it, Norwich have shown some ambition. And like I said, and you know they feel they've got an opportunity to stay in the division. I don't. I think they're they're done already. I, I really believe that. But they're having a go. Okay.
2: Um. We won't discuss the statistics that mean they're already down. So just instead, to Crook, tell us who's going to take the job.
4: Well, the interesting name in the frame there is Frank Lampard. I've heard from a couple of sources now uh, that he's very high on their shortlist and also that he is keen uh, to get back into management as soon as possible. Um, Why would
2: he want to take that job?
4: Well, he just managed Chelsea. He has just managed Chelsea. He was in the running for Crystal Palace. His name was mentioned in dispatches for Newcastle, but he didn't get either of those jobs. And I guess it gets to the stage as an out-of-work manager where if you don't get back in as soon as possible, you could end up in an Alan Kirbishley situation where you get linked with every job that becomes available and never actually take any of them.
2: Also, but He's think- going to get relegated. They're going to get relegated. What is the point of taking a job where you already know the outcome of it? If you're a manager like him trying to build a career, they're better off getting someone. I'm sure this is a much more attractive job for someone who's a Red Adair character. You know, I'm not saying this person should get it, but this person is available at this moment in time. Neil Warnock going, try and make them hard to beat, try and get some points on the board and keep them in the Premier League. And at the end of the season, whatever happens, leave it, give it to somebody else. I mean, Frank Lampard trying to build a career. It seems crazy for me that he would want to take this job on.
4: I think the attraction for him is that he knows he will get time because if they do go down this season, it's almost not on his watch because they're in a pretty perilous situation already he'll be given resources to to bring them back up from the championship next season and he will have a promotion on his cv because let's be honest if they do go down as as looks likely they will be one of the favorites to to come back at the first time of asking again
2: Uh, okay let's talk about their relegation rivals i was at old trafford at the weekend and manchester united were beaten again
3: We are underway in the Manchester Derby. Four to Matt in the centre. Walker's cross to Gundogan, Gundogan to the far post. How has he missed? But well, it was easier to score for Real Kai Gundogan. This towards the near post. Baye gets the first touch on it, scores an own goal. Left-footed cross by Cancelo. In front of the for them. Baye dives in, diverts it beyond his own goalkeeper. Shaw's got to get a cross in here, he does. Ronaldo with a volley, save, comes back to Greenwood, he's missed it. No ball back to De Bruyne. it's blocked by the defender, comes back to Jaysen, oh. it's a magnificent save to pop it over the top by De Gea. Cancelo towards the top corner, and another big right hand has to come out for David De Gea to pop it over the top of the crossbar. Low ball in towards the near post, oh Lindelof nearly scored score? known goal, De Gea makes a massive save. Cancelo's got it now, his right-footed cross is deep towards the far post, and it's poked in at the near post, and it's a goal from Bernardo Silva. And not even David De Gea knows how that stuck in beyond him. Foden free on the left-hand side. He's picked him out into the area. Left-footed. Hits the outside of the post. Here's the corner. Foden in towards Rodri. The ball drops inside the area. And it stones to turn and smash it goalwards and miss the target by an inch. Booze for a listless, lifeless performance from Manchester United. It's Manchester United nil. Manchester City 2.
2: Manchester United 0, Manchester City 2. United so passive, so timid, so listless and limp. We have decided on the game day pod not to even bother discussing them this weekend because you've heard every possible rant that Crook could muster and we don't want to go over old ground. I'll point out the bare statistics to you. They had four touches in the opponent's box in the entire game. Think about that for a second. Not shots. Not shots off target, four touches in the opponent's box in the entire game. That will probably give you a very accurate picture of their pathetic performance. Here's a snippet of what Ole Gunnar Solskjaer said to me
5: afterwards. I understand the critics. Of course, we, we've lost two games against Liverpool and City. I'm not blind and I'm not deaf. I can, I've seen what's happened, uh, but I believe in myself. I believe in the coaching staff got incredible coaching staff the attention to detail we need to start believing that we can do it players staff everyone uh fans because uh this club will always bounce back and uh, when we play watford we'll be ready
2: let's talk about manchester city then and focus on them because they were excellent smothering darren with their high press they played 4-2-4-0 with with two number tens no center forward against the back three which tactically worked brilliant because the back three had absolutely no one to mark. And Scott McTominay and Fred were running around trying to look after six
5: players. It was easy for Manchester City. And I think they declared at 2-0. I think they could have gone on and on and on. If it wasn't for David De Gea, I think it could have been four or five in the first half alone. So, you know, albeit he was probably at fault for the second goal, David De Gea, I think he kept them in the game at 2-0. Do you think so? I think that's harsh well it's it, so close to him it it was but you'd expect a goalkeeper of his quality to at least get a, a solid a solid hand to it and keep that out i think the defending was atrocious but like you said we won't discuss that too too much but manchester city were just phenomenal phil foden showed his quality again and this was without the 100 million pound man jack grealish by the way who who sat on the bench but i mean i heard uh, and I, I spoke about this on the boot room i heard um, pep guardiola after talk about um, it, it's like when you play in the fridge, you have to pass it round. Uh, listen, I don't exactly know what he was talking about. We tried to get <laughs> no some to some callers to, to. We tried to get callers to phone in and see if they knew. No one knew. It was a similar comment to the the Jamie Vardy and the soup. So it was brilliant from him. It was a masterclass, but he didn't need to do much to be honest to get the victory. I, I think City was surprised
2: that Manchester United was so tame. I think they expected more from them. They expected them to counter-attack. I mean, Pep came out with... He actually said to me, it's not my job to analyse them. And the fact that he said that made me think he thinks they're rubbish. Um, Gundogan's chance, Lindelof's near own goal, De Gea saved from Jesus, De Bruyne, Cancelo twice, Foden hitting the outside of the post. I mean, it could have been five before half-time. Jesus should have had a penalty at the end when Telez took his legs away. Um, Did the fact that it didn't end five or six actually underscore the difference between... Manchester City and Liverpool because ultimately I'm mean, saying that Liverpool lost at the weekend but in, what I mean is they're lacking a little bit of a killer instinct if they had someone like Ronaldo or Harry Kane who they wanted in the summer would they have racked up more goals at the weekend
4: potentially but I think it also is an illustration of the gap between them and and Manchester United that they felt once they got to 2-0, the game was won and they could take their foot off the pedal in the second half. And That's almost- fine.
2: He's mentioned Manchester United. It's a fine. We're not talking <laughs> about them. We're only talking about Manchester City.
4: Almost declare it 2-0, I was going to say. But yeah, um, if they had Ronaldo, uh, forget about Mo Salah, if City have Ronaldo, they probably would have scored six or seven and they would probably be favourites to win the Champions League and the Premier League. They don't. And I still think that lack of killer instinct, that lack of a number, number nine could come back and bite them in the second half of the season when they get deep into the competitions.
2: You were a midfield player, Darren, in the Premier League. Bernardo Silva's performance was particularly impressive, wasn't it? His record at Old Trafford is brilliant. Three goals in four trips. He was superb. He pops up everywhere. His goal was terrific. And he never, ever gave up anything. Not a a loose ball when he was pressing someone, when he was trying to chase a, a long pass forward. He was on
5: it. He just looks full of confidence he's a joy to watch, like you said, some of the little touches, the little intricate passes that he plays you know reminds me of a player that would fit into a Pep Guardiola's Barcelona team as well, how he plays, and I think mm. Pep Guardiola knows that, and he utilizes that them them skills that he has and i mean I mean his goal was fantastic, just drifting round the back, and no one listen poor defender, but no one knew he was coming round the back, and that's what. All good midfielders can do when they when they make them forward runs, you do it kind of silently, and no one knows where you are. No one knows you're coming round the back like that. And it was absolutely incredible performance from him. And you know he played further forward as well. And it could have been any one of them: Foden, um, Gundogan, all three of them can just kind of switch positions. And you know Bernardo Silva seems to be the the star man at the moment.
2: I, I mean. It... Obviously, if you were a striker, you'd be completely uncomfortable with the fact that they played this weird system where they play high and wide, Foden one side, Jesus the other side, De Bruyne, Gundogan, or Bernardo Silva, depending on whose turn it was, was playing as a false ten in sort of like a not a half striker role. I mean, it, it was it was brilliant to watch, but I mean, unless of course you were uh, a Manchester United supporter, I mean, I would say it was brilliant to watch unless you were Luke Shaw or, or Harry Maguire. <laughs> but that would that would probably mean they would have to be looking, which they weren't. Um, which is why Bernardo Silva scored his goal. Um, interesting to see what happens with Manchester United over the course of the next uh, couple of weeks or so. I mean, we, we've talked about it extensively. and We won't go into it today because we've already said we're not going to. But in terms of changing the manager, I mean, I think it's pointless. I think it's pointless for this reason. We had this discussion privately. You know, the biggest issues at Manchester United come right from the very top. This is a club which is decrepit. It is falling apart at the seams from the top. And maybe what they've been doing over the last few years is trying to repair some of the damage and put some infrastructure in place. They need to do that. They need to continue with that project because I'm telling you this as experienced of what happened to us on Saturday, we couldn't even get a solid broadcast line from that decrepit old stadium, which is falling apart. We squeezed into little seats and slightly Odd corridors that are like rabbit warrens around the back of a stadium. This is Manchester United. They go on about being the number one club in the world. Something that Oli Gunnersolchar mentioned on Friday in the press conference. I mean, you can't even get a broadcast line out of the place. It's a nightmare. The internet doesn't work. The turnstiles are congested and small. They're about eight hundred years old. I mean, it is. I mean, it, the whole place just needs investment and organisation and a decent CEO. Anyway, let some tears on.
5: here, We're... Sam, to be honest. He's, gonna go say, be. he's cheered me up, hasn't <laughs> he? Uh,
2: he's going on all day this week. What's he moaning about? Uh, West Ham 3, Liverpool 2. If you wanted to get cheered up, you could have watched that game because it was fantastic. If the Manchester derby was a non-contest, then, then this is a marked difference to what we saw at the London Stadium. Liverpool conceding for fun again, West Ham exposing it. And it brings to an end a 25-match unbeaten run for Liverpool. Alisson, who is so reliable usually, had a tricky afternoon. Jürgen Klopp moaned that the first goal was a foul. It wasn't. wasn't. Uh, He also said that Cresswell should have been sent off. That I'm probably going to give him. Uh, But overall, they only had themselves to blame, Crook.
4: Yeah, I'd rather focus on the West Ham performance than than Liverpool's failings. And I agree with you. I think it was churlish of of Jürgen Klopp to suggest that the. Goalkeeper was fouled. We, we, we were on air during the final stages of that game, and not one Liverpool fan contacted the boot room to suggest that there was anything wrong with the first goal. I was pleased actually that the the goalkeeper didn't get the usual level of protection that we're used to seeing in the Premier League. But West we Ham it into his own net. Exactly. Mm. It was just bad goalkeeping. But West Ham are rapidly becoming the success story, not just of the season, but the last eighteen months. This is not an overnight turnaround. They were brilliant. And consistent last season, finished in the Europa League places, flirted with the Champions League at one stage. We questioned if the squad was deep enough to continue that, given the added complications of playing in Europe. They've really embraced the Europa League, and I agree with Kevin Hatchard. I think when teams do that, it can actually aid their league form, as it has for West Ham. They are a fantastic unit. Um, They've got tremendous character, and I think you need that if you're going to pull off a result like that against Liverpool. Kurt Zouma has been one of the signings of the season and Declan Rice impresses me week in, week out and I just wish he was playing in a Manchester United shirt to be honest.
2: I think West Ham have flourished in part because of their off-field atmosphere which has been created by the whole management team. I know what they do behind the scenes and it, it is a good atmosphere. Stuart Pearce is massively involved in it as you would expect because he's that sort of character. David Moyes allows that to happen. He knows it's important uh, to sort of gel everybody's personalities together. They're organised brilliantly. I must say, I agree with you about Zuma. I think he's been excellent. I want to mention Ben Johnson. I think he's done so well since coming into the team. Brilliant defending against the top-class side. I mean, it begs the question, Crook, would you have Moyes back at Old Trafford? (laughs) Don't answer it. Don't answer it. Don't answer it. it. I'm (laughs) just goading you. You know I am. Uh, Unfortunately for Liverpool um, and Trent Alexander-Arnold and Divakarigi, they're beautifully taking goals Counted for nothing, Darren. Uh, but maybe they wouldn't have done if Sadio Mane had converted that header right at the very end.
5: Yeah, it was a big chance for for Sadio Mane, and yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I think an inch, an inch inside of the post, and and he equalises. So, but it, it was a, it was kind of a, a very average performance off Liverpool. I know Crookie said it, it was down to West Ham, and I, and I do think that. I think West Ham stifled them. And they knew exactly how to to play against them. Um, but the first, like you said, the the goal. What's it? Jurgen Klopp saying he needs more help. They need more support. The goalkeepers. I mean, they have more support. They're not going to be allowed in the six yard box. You know, Maybe it's, 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 wonder, bro, it's right? outrageous. He ran into the back of Ogbonna and, and the, he punched it into his own net. It's poor goalkeeping, in my opinion. They're going to lose Sadio Mani, They're going to lose Mohamed Salah to the African Cup of Nations. They're going to be huge losses. OK, it's the first defeat. So it's not it's not a doom and gloom at the moment. But losing them two is going to be poor for them because Mohamed Salah, for me, is one of the best in the world at the moment. And the midfield, it's not... It's not great at, uh, at present. With, with with when you look back at like the previous few seasons with Liverpool, it's not it's not great. So it could this could be the start of some some poor times to come for Liverpool. I'm sure it won't because Jurgen Klopp's a great coach. I'm sure he'll bounce back. But brilliant, brilliant performance and result from West Ham.
2: Wonder if they're kicking themselves they didn't replace Jeannie Van in the summer. Uh, Virgil Van Dijk said it was a proper knock. How damaging will it be for Liverpool failing to capitalise? On Chelsea also dropping points this weekend, Crook.
4: Yeah, that will be a frustration, I think, to Jurgen Klopp because it's so tight, isn't it, at the top of the table. Every drop point is going to be crucial come the end of the season. That's probably why he was so frustrated with the the so-called refereeing decisions that went against him.
2: Everton Tottenham was juiced up by the arrival of Antonio Conte, but it wasn't the perfect start for the Italian. Hard fought, but Spurs now have not had a shot on target. Would you believe this? In the league... For three hours you could watch the entire James Bond movie no time to die in the cinema watch the trailers and go out for popcorn twice and still be between efforts on target with Spurs uh, and it's definitely a better watch he's got some work to do I think Antonio Conte Reggion had the best chance in the first half when Kane who didn't have much of a kick really swings across to the Spaniard at the back post but he couldn't control his strike. Everton much better than they have been recently. What did we think? Crook?
4: They were more organised defensively than they have been recently. And I think already you can see when it comes to Tottenham that Antonio Conte has has got them more organised as well. Obviously, it's no surprise that he's adopted that back three formation that served him so well at Chelsea. But the lack of creativity for Tottenham was startling. And you've mentioned the stats there in terms of their lack of shots on target. I've always said this new manager bounce is a myth. If you look at the stats, more often than not, uh, managers take a while um, to start picking up points, and that might well be the case with Tottenham and with Antonio Conte. I guess in some ways the international break has come at a good time. It will give him a chance to lay down some roots and, and, and get some blueprints in place in terms of how he wants them to play. But they still need their better players, the Harry Canes and the Sons, to step up, and you can't just do that overnight. Uh, Everson, as I said
2: before, much better. Charleston livelier. They look a little bit more solid. They can't get DCL back quick enough, though. Um, you knew they were giving up too many chances prior to this game. So Rafa being a proper coach gets them back on the straight and narrow down.
5: Yeah, I think uh, if you look at this game, it's a game that he probably earmarked as a game that he could win. That was before Conte uh, took over Tottenham. So he would have looked and thought, right, this is the one that I need to get back on track. And to keep a clean sheet, obviously had the the red card right at the end, which um, in my opinion was a red card. I think it was very similar to the Cresswell, one given, one not. So the inconsistencies of the referees was disappointing today. But yeah, I, I'm totally with you. I think Everton have, have turned the tide a little bit and they'll be looking to build on this this performance as as will Conte as well. If I if I just touch on Tottenham, being a Spurs fan, as you mentioned earlier, today I'm a Spurs fan Um Vitesse, when they played Vitesse, they could they they were brilliant at attacking. They were creating chances, and and today they defended very well. So they just need to get that balance right. Conte will get it right. And the, the next four league games: Leeds at home, Burnley away, Brentford at home, Norwich at home. They are winnable games. So he's going into a run of games now with with Muro in the in the Europa Conference, where he could really get his team like spirit and bonding because that's what they need. And you know, I'm I'm very very excited as a Spurs fan.
2: Okay, uh, Everton had a penalty overturned, Richarlison brought down by Lloris, he did get his hand to the ball, so it was reversed by the VAR, but is that the right call? Because he also gets a big chunk of Richarlison. Now anywhere else on the pitch, we always say getting the ball is not a defence. So penalty, no penalty, what do we reckon?
5: I I didn't think it was a penalty when we watched it live. I thought no, he he got the ball. I just looked at the the direction that the ball was going, and then the direction it ended up going after Luis got his hand to it. And I think they got the decision correct. There was a obviously Richarlison thought it was a penalty, of course. But when you're look when you're going over to the VAR, uh, when you're sent over to the screen, you know that you're going to overturn that. But I just felt the referee probably should have seen that as well. If you're looking the direction Richarlison's running. The ball clearly changes, so he clearly got a touch with his hand, and yeah, for me that was a correct decision.
2: Okay, LaCelso hitting the post towards the end. I thought that was a good save actually from Pickford. He got something on yeah. that, didn't he? Yeah, um, Hol- Holgate's sending off, two footed, out of control. He lands his studs high up onto the leg. It's a definite red card. No complaints. Only just come off the bench, and I think the comparison to Cresswell is interesting because it's, I think it's worse than Cresswell's but it's not too far away. So, you know, I think that could have been a red card as well. Right, let's get back to Saturday afternoon. Newcastle, none the wiser.
4: Right-footed down the middle. And Brighton take the lead. And an unerring finish from Leandro Trossard. Here is Sam Maximan, rolling the ball into the feet of Richie, crosses high towards the far post. Clark knocks it down. And there's Isaac Hayden. To volley Newcastle back on level terms.
3: How about that? I think Eddie's—he's a professional person. He's respectful enough to leave me alone and let me get on with it. Because you waste any time speaking to anybody, then you're losing focus on the the job in hand. And just lots of pleasing things today. Just wanted to get that first win.
2: We talked a bit about Eddie Howe and his appointment. Shall we discuss the game itself, Crook? The game—I'm sure was much better in the second half. Is that fair? Because the first half. I was listening to you and I thought it sounded a bit dross, really, to be honest with you. Was that fair?
4: Was that my commentary or the action? Um, the, the first half was <laughs> no, a bit of a... No, tra- you were
2: wonderful, obviously. <laughs> the As first I just heard with the, the highlights.
4: The, the first half was a bit of a training session for Brighton. That It was a, a lesson in, in just keeping possession. Again, age-old problem that seems to have come back to haunt them is that they didn't really maximise that territorial advantage. Just the, the one goal, obviously, awarded from a penalty, which I think was probably the right call. Kieran Clark did have a, a big handful of uh, Leandro Trostar's shirt. So again, I think VAR working to good effect there. What will frustrate Graham Potter is they didn't manage to maintain that momentum in the second half. Credit to Graham Jones, whatever he said at half time, did work. Uh, Newcastle much more organised, much more positive in their play in that second 45 and probably good value for a share of the spoils. But it's a point that doesn't, Help them too much. It helps in terms of steadying the ship, but I mentioned that stat at the start of the programme. History in terms of survival is stacked up against them. And I wonder if Eddie Howe might implement a formation change because he knows that Matt Ritchie isn't no a left wing back. He's playing there more out of necessity, I think, than design. I don't understand why Jamal Lewis isn't getting more game time for Newcastle. I know he's a player that Eddie Howe has admired previously, so. Maybe his appointment could be positive for Lewis. I think Eddie will want to go back to a back four and they need to service Callum Wilson more because for much of the game, Callum Wilson was 30 yards away from anybody else in a Newcastle shirt and quite often the ball was just sailing over his head. That's not going to get the best out of him. Again, Eddie will know how to get the best out of him. And the Fraser situation is an interesting one because... Ryan Fraser isn't particularly popular with the Newcastle fans. I think there'll be a meeting between him and Eddie Howe, in which Eddie will probably say, look, the fans don't like you very much. I know how to get the best out of you. Let's, let's use that. Let's lute, utilise your talent and let's show them what a good player you are because they haven't seen that yet.
2: Hayden took his goal uh, well, uh, but there is a lot of work for Eddie to do, actually, and he needs to get started very quickly. I think he'll get started on Monday morning, but we shall see. Um, the best thing about the game was the Sanchez sending off. Uh, the VAR, again, I mean, the VAR's had a bit of a busy week, to be honest with mm. you, but uh, there wasn't really much to argue with there. But I always like it when a goalkeeper is replaced by an outfield player. I mean, that is always like the dream, isn't it? It's the best thing that happens. And Lewis Dunk had to go in goal. Didn't have a save the, to make, the, though. The worst thing is, yeah, I was going to say, the worst thing was is no one really tested him. And also, it just happened far too late. Well, why didn't he didn't it? shoot
5: from the free kick, I, I do not know. I said that at the time. <laughs> just shoot. If you hit the target, you've got a chance with a player in goal. So why he didn't do that was a poor decision. Just dinked it to the pack post to nothing. And he didn't have a, a, a save to make. Frustrating. Chelsea won, Burnley won, another 3pm Saturday kickoff. Chelsea were without um,
2: Mount from the start. Werner, Lukaku again. Um, we forget how to score, says Thomas Tuchel. Hudson-Odoi should have. Havertz did after a terrific cross from Rhys-James. Brilliant. He's playing brilliant at the moment, Rhys-James. Christensen should have had it, uh, a header uh, and put it in the corner. Uh, Pope made a save from Jorginho. Silva hit the frame with a header. Havertz went over from seven yards. Barkley had a huge chance. But ultimately, their profligacy and those key absences have hurt them on a crucial weekend. Um, Now, the gap should have shrunk, but actually, they're three points clear still at the top of the table, Darren.
5: Yeah, this is going to be frustrating um, for Thomas Tuchel, I feel, that he didn't get the the result. But when it's 1-0, it's always difficult because they're always in with a chance. And Sean Dyche played the game really, really well, actually, and then getting a, a late equaliser. I mean, 25 goal attempts and only four on target for Chelsea. I mean, that's not a great conversion rate at the moment for, for for the players that are there. And like you said about Rhys James, there's an array of talent at that right back slot at the moment for England. And, and he is right up there, along with Trent, for me, that one of the the best and his form is, has been absolutely fantastic. But if you look at when Chelsea played Brentford, and it was kind of a smash and grab and they got the result there. And I, I said at the time, that's a that's a title winning performance that when you look back, this one is, it, you know, it's kind of evened itself out there because they should have got the result and they ended up only picking up one point. I think he'll be frustrated to not um, widen the gap as, as you said at the start. Yeah. 25
2: attempts on goal or on target. I mean, it's a good job that Werner was in the team because it probably would only been two on target. <laughs> um, uh, James has been excellent from that right wing back position. As Darren was mentioned, sometimes, they play with inverted wing backs. So when they're in possession, the two wing backs come in and play as inside forwards. Sometimes they stay out wide. Sometimes they go on the overlap. I mean, it's tactically always brilliant to watch Chelsea, and it's an excellent use of his.
0: Selling a little or a lot? J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Labrooks. Odds update on talk sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Footballing ability in particular
2: because he is able to play in a multitude of different positions and he's so comfortable with the ball.
4: Yeah, and he gets the best out of both both wing backs, doesn't he? Thomas Tuchel, excellent season for Chilwell so far as well. And I think that's what we're seeing from the very top managers at the top of the food chain. We talked about it with Pep Guardiola and his different use of players as well. Football has evolved so much that, that you can't really afford to stick to a rigid formation or a rigid system. And that's where people like Ole Gunnar Solskjaer at the moment are being found out. Mm. Uh, Burnley's goal was a good
2: one Brownhills cross Rodriguez nodding it down Bidra finishing it off it was a goal against the run of play it denied Chelsea all three points but then they nearly won it straight after that Crystal Palace did win on Saturday at three o'clock Crystal Palace beat Wolverhampton Wanderers in the Saturday afternoon kickoff. off and uh, Darren you must have been delighted to see your team put another three points
5: on the board. Patrick Vieira is the king isn't he I mean he's doing a fantastic job he is, and I mean, he's only lost two games this season—one against Liverpool, one against Chelsea—and you know they've—I think they've played eight of the top ten teams, so they're on a good run of form at the moment. That they have drew too many. I think if you look at West Ham, Leicester, Brighton, Arsenal. All four of them games, Crystal Palace should and probably could, well, could and should have got the result out of out of them, particularly the Brighton and, and, and the Arsenal with the last-minute equalisers. They they were the frustrating ones. But back-to-back wins now, obviously, went up to Man City. There, nothing needs to be said about that brilliant, brilliant result. And, you know, this was quite comfortable Well against the Wolves team in very good form at the moment. And I think what, what they are, Crystal Palace, 2nd they're, they're a second-half team at the moment. I think they've only scored two goals in the first half, both from Wilfred Zaha. They seem to go in and Patrick knows what to say to them at half time, it seems, because they come out and they, they, they perform second half and they are very, very fit. And I think that's what Patrick has got out of them. Their their, their, their fitness and um, the, the different style of playing. James McArthur James is a real... Um, underrated midfielder in the Premier League. He is a stalwart. He's always there and he's been absolutely fantastic. He's the heart of that midfield. So, And then you've got um, Wilf and, and obviously Chelsea's Conor Gallagher. You'll know about him Um, Sam and I think if 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 I'm Steve Parrish now if I'm the owners I'm getting a checkbook out right now I'm asking what price it would take to sign him up and I'm doing it immediately as soon as I can.
4: It's interesting isn't it because it shows how strong Chelsea squad is that we've already uh, spoken about Connor Gallagher he's he's out on loan they sold Liveramento to Southampton he's been exceptional Kurt Zouma, they sold him to West Ham. Mm-hmm. He's been exceptional. So not only a Chelsea uh, sitting pretty at the top of the league, they're basically serving the rest of the division with their best outcasts.
2: Yeah, Tarek Lamptey as well. I played for Brighton at the weekend. Mm-hmm. I think he started, he did he? For the first time in a while, and he was which sharp. Is, uh, good. So, um, okay. Uh, interesting that uh, Darren refers to all the Crystal Palace people with their first names. So I heard friends. him the other week when he was doing uh, commentary and it was, Christians should do this and Christians <laughs> should do that. And Patrick does this and Patrick does but Just remember, when That's you work respect. in the media, it's, it's last names only, all right? So Eagles, friends. I call you Sam, Mr. Sam. Yeah, I don't play. But if you're talking about players, it's by their surnames. I mean, I heard someone earlier on today say Trent's free kick. It's not Trent, it's Alexander-Arnold, okay? right, let's get this correct. Okay, now you might remember this. From Thursday's pod. Crookies bold claim. Crookies well, bold f- claim. What is your bold claim? Fr- Crook, mate,
4: say it, say it. I don't think Norwich will win a game in the Premier League all season.
2: So what happened then at the Brentford community stadium just forty-eight hours later? Here's Sam Elard.
1: Brentford 1, Norwich 2. The Norwich players sink to their knees. The Canaries finally have their first league win of the season. And oh my, did they have to work hard for it? Their fans on the far side of the ground are having a party in the away end. And who can blame them? Norman and Pookie were goals in the first half. Henry scored in the second half for Brentford. But Norwich defended for their lives. And are winners once again in the Premier League. The chance from the away end is yellows. It's finished. Brentford 1, Norwich 2. <laughs>
2: Ah, yes. On the button again there, Crook.
1: I mean, maybe we should have a
2: new feature, Darren Ambrose, and, and call it Crooky called it or something like that. What do you reckon?
5: Oh, don't. Honestly, I put a message in the boot room group saying Crooky called it because he said about Brentford they're going to struggle. And then <laughs> I didn't obviously realise that he said Norwich weren't going to win a game this season. Absolutely brilliant. What, 48 hours later, they win a game. So maybe not yeah. do the feature.
2: No, maybe not. Maybe not. Um, OK, no team has ever stayed up with just two points from 10 games, which is why I'm a bit worried about Frank Lampard taking this job because he is going to get relegated. It's never happened. You can't get out of this situation. Statistically, it's over already. Um, this was Norwich's 11th game of the season, but they did win it. And the commentator on Match of the Day said it was a dream day for Norwich. That was the last thing he said. <laughs> and then they sacked Daniel Farker. Um <laughs> And this is less than two weeks uh, after Stuart Webber started getting very, very cross and said he was safe and his achievements were fantastic. And uh, he even did a media tour to fight back at the media bullies. Um, What's happened then? So why did they decide all of a sudden that he wasn't as fantastic as they were making out?
4: Well, I think uh, that's a question that only Stuart Webber can answer. And I think he should answer it because you're right, he did come out and and publicly back Daniel Farker. I wonder if the fact that Farker was told that he would be leaving before the game filtered into the dressing room and maybe this was almost a last hurrah on behalf of the the, the Norwich players. Tim Krull was outstanding. Uh, Brentford had more than enough chances to at least get a draw from the game. But I guess after what Daniel Farker has done for Norwich, twice taking them into the Premier League, it's only right that he bows out in victory. I agree with you. I still think they will go down and therefore it's a it's a massive task for anybody who comes in and that's why i think whoever comes in if it is frank lampard must have been promised uh, long-term support in terms of getting the back up next season
2: i don't get it i don't get it darren have you ever heard of anything like this being told before the match, you're fired. But any chance you could take charge of Brentford this afternoon?
5: Well, I hadn't heard of it, and then I had listened to Neil Warnock as well, and I think he had the same situation at Middlesbrough. But I, I mean... slightly
2: different with Neil Warnock, though, isn't it? because he's you know he's, he's a lot older, he's a lot more experienced. He always seems to leave clubs in that sort of way. He's very good at sort of mm. negotiating a good exit. Whereas Daniel Farker has been the manager there for ages. Two weeks ago, he was being supported like you wouldn't believe. Mm. And all of a sudden, they're giving him enough time to tell his mum before announcing it to the public.
5: Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm surprised. I'm surprised at the whole situation of Norwich. Like we said, they they come out Stuart Webber and backing him to the to the high heavens. And I don't get it. I don't understand why he's done that. Like I said, they could have given him more chance. in In my opinion, Norwich are going to go down. We've all said that. Everyone everyone agrees with with that. So why get rid of the manager? who is has the ability to bring you up if you was going to get rid of him you do it at the start of the season potentially you don't do it now
2: I disagree with you I think he's definitely out of his depth in the Premier League and they were right to sack him but it's definitely and it's not a harsh decision but the time like you said that who's going to take that, take that job two three weeks ago who's going to take the job with a relegation already on their hands well, someone who's desperate and someone again and this is the problem with Norwich someone who's already been told it doesn't matter if you go down mm. Because we'll we'll help you come back up again. So it's the same self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? You're already telling the next person when they walk through the door psychologically that it's okay to get relegated, yeah. which is this whole problem that I have with the top 26 club narrative. There's one name that with. you
5: said earlier, Sam, that I would give that Norwich job to, and that's Neil Warnock. I and he'd love it. He would. He, he obviously he doesn't ever want to retire. We know that he's retired four or five times. I think he's a great manager. I've I worked for him. I think he would give Norwich the best opportunity to stay in the division.
2: Oh, what well, can you imagine? The end of season party if he did <laughs> keep them up as well. Delia Smith and Neil Warner <laughs> dancing on the dance floor at Carrow Road, jigging away. Um, probably to a bit of Elton John or something like that. Um, Pookie could have scored a second goal actually, in this game. He did score a penalty. In fact, they could have had a couple of more before, the Brentford onslaught at the end. It is four defeats in a row uh, for Brentford for the first time uh, since 2016. Um, So maybe Crookie might be be right with his prediction. They might be dropping towards the relegation zone. But Newcastle and Norwich are in serious problems. They're already five points behind safety after just 11 uh, played Uh, Southampton beat Aston Villa on Friday night in the Friday night football, not the greatest game, but it results in the dismissal of Dean Smith. We've spoken about that already. So Crook, here is your one minute to pay tribute to King Ralph Harsenhutl.
4: Yep. Always been a big fan. Um, I think a lot of people questioned Southampton when they sold Danny Ings, when they sold Yannick Vestergaard, when they allowed Ryan Bertrand to leave on a free transfer and, recruited young, unproven players in the Premier League. The likes of Livermento continues to be excellent. Uh, Broger back in the squad at the weekend as well. And Salisu, who was a player they actually signed the previous summer, but didn't get much of a look in last season, but is really beginning to excel. And I'm not worried about Southampton because he's got them defensively organised. Yes, they're not a team who are going to score... Bags of goals without Danny Ings, but he's changed his principles slightly. They don't press quite as high as they used to. They're content for the opposition uh, to have more of the ball, maybe, than in the past. But as I say, that back line now with Carl Walker-Peters emerging uh, as a left-back, having spent most of his career at right-back, is going to give them a fantastic chance of picking up points. This was always going to be a series of games where they needed uh, to pick up points because they were playing teams that they would see as possible relegation rivals. And they're doing that. Three wins and a draw from their last four matches. Onwards and upwards, King Ralph.
2: (laughs) Leeds won, Leicester City won. Uh, Leeds United in front uh, through a spectacular Rafinha goal. His form for club and country at the moment is absolutely out of this world. He is thriving in the Premier League and thriving under the tutelage of Marcelo Bielsa. Not so much the defence, because 73 seconds after getting in front, they concede an equaliser, a lapse in concentration again. Darren and uh, it's all square
5: I mean what an absolutely outstanding goal as well from Harvey Barnes by the way and you you are right it was a lapse in concentration you're you're most vulnerable everyone says it you're most vulnerable a couple of minutes after the goal I mean this wasn't a couple of minutes this was straight from kickoff and they should have cleared it they should have shut up shop for the for a couple of minutes and then defended the lead that they had and then built on that but they didn't but you can't underestimate that goal from Harvey Barnes he put it right in the top corner. And there was no saving that from Melia, who had an indifferent game, by the way. I thought he was poor at stages and quite good at stages. But I agree with what you're saying with Rafinha. I think potentially he could play in a top four team. I think he has been outstanding for them. But... You know, it's a like, talk about Meliers form is indifferent. I think Leeds' form is a bit very indifferent this season. And they you were know, a
4: better
2: team in this game though for most of it. They, they were,
5: they were. But it's two teams here that I think will finish at a mid-table. I, 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 don't think Leicester will will be as good as they were last season and the season before. I think there'll be two mid mid-table sides. They'll both be fine. But you know, it was uh, it was a probably an, an average one-all game to be honest.
2: Yeah, I'm a bit worried about Rafinha being the man who scores all of the goals mm. for Leeds. I think he scored five of their 11 goals so far this season. Jack Harrison um, also could have restored the lead after the restart. Leicester thought they'd actually taken the lead when they went forward after 67 minutes. Adam ola turning in Yuri Tielemann's corner only for VAR to rule it out for offside. Correct, Crook?
4: Yeah, certainly looked that way. I've only seen um, one replay because I was commentating the Arsenal game at the time. But as you say, busy weekend for VAR. But I think that was a decision that was correct. Um,
2: Arsenal against Watford. Arsenal winners again. I don't think they were particularly brilliant, were they? But they've uh, put points on the board. They've got 20 points. They're only two points behind Liverpool. I mean, no one can complain now, Darren.
5: No, they seem to come into a great great form, and I think, um, obviously you know Darren Bent, big Arsenal fan, he's looking at them potentially challenging for top four, which no one would have said that after the first three games of the season, sitting rock bottom. He's really turned it around, Mikel Arteta, and uh, everyone seems to be playing for him, particularly Aaron Ramsdale, who I feel potentially should be in a shout, at least in with a Shout, of Player of the Month, because he's been absolutely tremendous, and also a big shout-out to Maitland Niles, who come in that centre midfield, and putting a real man on the match display and really um, he was solid for them and uh, Emil Smith-Rowe obviously another, another goal a snapshot from the edge of the box brilliant finish
4: They've got a couple of players Arsenal who could feel hard done by not to be in, in Gareth yeah. Southgate's latest England squad one of them uh, Darren mentioned there the goal scorer Smith-Rowe but Ben White as well uh, has been a big part of this defensive transformation and, and I think the biggest tribute you can pay to that back four now as you can't see where Kieran Tierney gets back in because Tavares bombing down that left-hand side well. was exceptional
2: yeah playing well um I just still think that eventually Arsenal they ain't going to get any better than they are are they and I think Tottenham will get a lot better and I think Tottenham will probably push them a little bit further maybe that
5: fourth spot in the Premier League
2: of course you know uh, Darren you're working all over the international break aren't
5: you Yes, I'm doing some co commentary at. uh, It's all right, I don't need details.
2: Um, I'm working over the international break, (laughs) that's fine. Uh, Crook's a little bit like some of the England players, he picks and chooses his games. So, you know, we're all working over the international break. Oh, yeah. He's going on holiday. Yeah. So, you know, when you're working doing those co coms and I'm, you know, jetting off doing all the England games, he's going to be sitting on a beach with a Sagres. Outrageous, enjoy, really, isn't it? I, enjoy. I, but I'm actually well earned he said I've earlier actually, up, by the
4: way I've actually booked an, er, an <laughs> yeah, earlier flight than I did have so that I can commentate Scotland on Friday night that's dedication oh that
2: is dedication <laughs> alright ok we're off to put the ball in the fridge uh, thank you very much for downloading the game day podcast from TalkSport remember the pre-match pod will be out on Thursday before the return of the Premier League with the usual preview uh, of all the action enjoy the international
3: break Crook you in particular enjoy the international break
4: I'm gone